great to have you on an episode of Architect Tomorrow. Really excited about our conversation, particularly as you, know, you are one of the founders of the idea that is Architect Tomorrow. For those that don't know, also Chris happens to be my boss, so we'll, we'll try not to make this too awkward. I think it'll be fine. We've done stuff before. It'll be, it'll be good. Chris, let's perhaps kick off with a bit of bit of your background, if you don't mind. So yeah. give, give, give us an idea of how you kind of got into the tech industry and how you got into security. What's the story there? Thank you for having me, Oliver. It's uh, it's great to be here. And yeah, I will say I was one of a few people who, you know, was there at the genesis of, of Architect Tomorrow. It wasn't necessarily all me, but they had a part to play. I would say I took probably the, the more traditional kind of technical route to CISO, I would say, which involved kind of getting involved in kind of really IT support roles straight out of um, school, really, like the opportunity to get involved in kind of all things technology in a very hands-on, um, almost reactive fashion and like many people who went on to be security architects and, and maybe security leaders and it went from kind of support to more of a sort of an engineering role um for me it was a step in the middle which was more around kind of coding and um kind of application development the first role i had when i was working in it support kind of the it director there really it's quite a small kind of law firm so it director right. is a bit of a grandiose title it was someone who basically built everything, right? So you got your hands dirty with Novell Netware, like early versions of Windows, like NT3 and 4, actually at the time, NT4 definitely, through to AD. And so kind of I'm sort of scripting, um, mainly from a Windows perspective, and just took it from there. So I went through, as was kind of a rite of passage for a lot of people, kind of Microsoft certified systems engineer track. We got to learn all about kind of the Windows side of the house. And as I said, that was when AD was coming into um, coming into the world, group policy. So they're kind of the early mainstays of, of security and it kind of just grew from there. Um, I took a decision to work as a contractor okay. for a number of years. That's uh, down in London. So because of that, even at an early age, I got to work with various different industries, various different personalities and stuff. And I think as an architect, especially, that helps working in those various different industry verticals and getting to you know understand the challenges of different businesses. So that's what got me into it. And um, yeah, kind of went from there, really. Yeah, awesome. I mean, it's interesting because I have a similar sort of working for a smaller organization, that kind of one man band IT person is an incredible role to learn, isn't it? Because you have to you have to understand everything from the end user environment to the back end stuff to security to, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a real cheap dip, isn't it? You've got, it's a single swim role where it's like, right, it's only me and I'm going to have to do a yeah. lot of reading, <laughs> and, you know, a lot of rebooting as well. A, a lot of rebooting and I mean at 18 years old which I think is roughly what we're talking about here you know yeah. you're getting exposure to Delphi to C++ to Visual Basic to hey we need to build a Novell Netware environment anyone know the best way of doing that you know no one claimed to be a specialist like no one who was there was watching this you know what I mean like it was you could get your hands dirty and if if things went wrong you you rebuilt it you know it was a strong yeah. enough environment that that's that's what happened so that was good I don't think I could have done that had I gone down you know a more um i suppose academic route through university at that stage right. and then parachuted into a role in my mid-20s i don't think i'd have got the same um, yeah. breadth of experience no yeah very cool um so look clearly you're you're, you're now our global CISO, and it's interesting to sort of talk you know, talk about your path to CISO. but you know lots of architects need to work closely with with CISOs and security leadership what's your kind of advice for engagement with the CISO? what what would you say yeah architects should and shouldn't do what, what are your what are your thoughts on, on on that sort of relationship i <laughs> i don't want to alienate a group of CISOs here I, I would suggest that you don't go in with the assumption that every CISO comes from the background that i have just 
yep. described. I think certainly, and certainly in some industry verticals, I think there's maybe there's maybe people who do that. And some CISOs have come from, you know, finance roles. They've come from HR roles. They understand or illegal, illegal perhaps a legal background. Or legal background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or, or kind of enterprise risk management. Maybe yep. not so much on the technology side. So they have yep. a fantastic understanding of their business. You know, it's inner operating kind of model and and intricacies, but. Um, not necessarily cloud architectures and um, you know the bits and bytes of, of operating systems. So I would go in as an architect, and again, I'm sure you and I can jam on this another time of you know what does architect mean and you know differences of enterprise and solution, etc. Yeah. But go in, I think, with with kind of a logical blueprint of what you're describing. So obviously requirements are a good start, but mm-hmm. explaining something almost abstract of the yeah, like I said, the intricacies of the technologies, talk about why we're doing what we're doing. And at least then it gives the CISO and the security team a very kind of early opportunity to start threat modeling. Before you actually go into the weeds of the technology, you can start to look at potential threat vectors and vulnerabilities. I think architects are actually in a good position to, to kind of have dialogue with a CISO in the, in theory anyway, they're, um, they're supposed to be able to translate the requirements of those maybe outside of the very technical disciplines and relay them in terms of kind of outputs and um, business context. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I guess enterprise architects as well are in a similar sort of position to the security function, looking at that sort of broader, bigger picture view of the organization. And uh, clearly um, the security function is, is, is dialed in sort of the, the risks, particularly obviously the, the, the information security risks and physical security risks. But I guess yeah, the architect is perhaps looking more broadly at other considerations and trade-offs. But I think there is a there is a, clearly an overlap you to draw that Venn diagram of like where they sort of see the world. De- definitely, yeah. And both having skin in the game in the risk equation is is key. I think that that's their common ground, irrespective of technical background. I think that's their common ground in the same way that you know I have a common ground with my sort of finance organisation because both talk in terms of of risk to the organisation, just from yep. different lenses. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So clearly you've worked with quite a few security architects. Um, what do you think makes for an effective security architect? Is it, is it kind of all technical stuff? Is it kind of communication and engagement? Is it a blend? What, what would you say is your, on your sort of top sort of three or five list for, a, for an effective security architect? Um, I think it is a blend. That's a really boring answer, isn't it? If I say, oh, it's a blend. But no, it, it is a blend. But I, I, I thought about this before. A genuine passion... For, for both architecture and sort of technology, I suppose. If you think about the requirements for an architect today compared to maybe 10 years ago, you think about, and I suppose I'm contradicting myself on logical layers, but for a lot of architects anyway, in the sense of very end-tier architecture, mm-hmm. you know, presentation layer, application layer, database layer, a lot of it on, you know, physical Linux and Windows servers in data centers through to, I don't want to say paradigm shift, but a starkly different world that we're in today with everything as a service, serverless, containers, everything managed through kind of immutable paradigms and stuff. So, you know, having that genuine thirst for what you're involved in, because everything is moving so quickly that Absolutely. if an architect, you know, I don't yeah. know, if an architect doesn't have that, I actually want to be involved in what I'm doing rather than it just being my vocation. I think that's that's certainly... certainly it's got, to have, a it's got to have a passion for it. Otherwise, like you say, it's just really hard to keep on top of, uh, on top of it because it's just constantly changing so it's yeah it's, it's got to almost be a hobby and a you know a, an interest as much as a as I say a vocation because otherwise I, you, just, I, you won't keep up yeah completely and I, and I do think you have to work sort of left to right sequentially okay. in what you're doing so requirements through to irrespective of where your touch point or your handoff is yep. in that life cycle right so waterfall agile I don't really care like 
Mm -hmm. Working from that side, I see far too many people solutionize and work backwards to requirements. I think right. certainly irrespective of enterprise or solutions level, like like having that, why are we doing what we're doing? Who's involved? What are the priorities? And that very kind of logical mind, I think, helps a lot for yep. the architect. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. So what's your views on how well-trodden a path the security architect is to CISO? Is that something you've sort of seen? And what has sort of marked out people that have made that journey successfully? I think it comes back to communication and it comes okay. back to the relationships that you build yeah. as an architect, right? So I mentioned earlier that, um, you know, I worked as, a, as an architect in, you know, many financial services organizations yeah. in London and um, not that London is particularly relevant, but hey, you, um, you know, you get to interface with so many different stakeholders and you have to communicate with them in their language to, mm -hmm. you know, extract what they really want ultimately from the solution, from the environment, from the, the project that you're delivering and I think the CISO it's very similar for the CISO I would say is you know yes I have a lot of conversations with my internal teams but most of them are about you know securing or providing information protection for something that's nothing to do with security if the security is there to you know reduce risk to a palatable level for that business stakeholder so I think there's some synergies with the architect there I mean it's yeah, I'm slightly biased because it's a path that I took but yeah I think that that I think that that certainly is a is a well trodden path, yeah. And and I guess what would you say are the sort of sort I suppose skills or capabilities that you sort of gained along that journey? Has it been sort of learning how to speak the board's language, sort of engaging with boards? Is it engagement with the C suite at a different level? Because I I think there is clearly there are architects that are able to have that C level conversation, but there's quite a step I guess, isn't there, between having that engagement and then being part of that executive leadership team. Yeah, I mean, that's probably your, your point of delineation, right? Is, yeah. You know, that board engagement. I mean, yes, you have C-level engagement as an architect, depending on the company's distribution of C-titles. But, you know, mm -hmm. you, you do. But that board metrics conversation is a very different one, I think, for the, for the person accountable for security. Because at that right. stage, you're not even talking at a project level in business language. It's brass tacks. What are the top three, top five business objectives? And how does... I suppose, what are the material risks to those business objectives? Yeah. And what is the security function doing to mitigate or, or kind of remove those risks? So I suppose that is the big jump. Kind of, I had, a, a, I suppose, a kind of a gap between the two or a, a role between the two, I could say, in that I went from kind of architect to then sort of running a security function. So I, I suppose for an American company, it'd be like a director of information security. Yeah. So you yeah. still have many of the um, role responsibilities of a CISO, but you don't necessarily have that accountability for communication with, you know, your board and your kind of auditors, et cetera. Yeah, I, I guess it's smart to try and find those sort of stepping stones in between one role to, 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 to the other role. Um, stepping stone was the idiom I was looking for rather than gap. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely what I'm, I'm talking about. Yeah. So, so Chris, clearly at the moment you're involved in so much stuff uh, as our global CISO titanium. What, what sort of hot topic or particular challenge area or you know information security challenge is is particularly top of mind for you at the moment you're passionate about at the moment can you tell us a bit about yeah what's your kind of I suppose pet topic right now yeah yeah it's, it's probably more than a pet topic but I suppose my most I, I have <laughs> oh shit we're just that I have <laughs> I probably have two I would say I mean one of them we've touched on which is kind yeah. of meaningful metrics for the board yeah and as we grow as an organization as we have shifted from in fact both of them this is relevant for so i'll explain you know tanium as you all well know i hope has shifted from a very kind of product-based company 
you know, almost monolithic in the way we deliver mm-hmm. kind of products and software, you know, major releases, ship to customer, customer yep. responsibility to install, deploy. Like we shifted to a very service-based model with Tanium as a service, you mm-hmm. know, public cloud infrastructure, infrastructure as code, you know, deploying updates maybe twice a week in yep. some cases. And, you know, everyone here goes on LinkedIn and talks about shifting security left and the role of security in a DevOps world. But, you know, those methodologies, those ways of working are, are top of mind for me. If I have, you know, a cloud engineering organization that's dropping code twice a week, I can't say why well, it takes four weeks to conduct a pen test and, you know, write a security design. That's, you, that's you've, got gonna, step up. You've, got to, you've got to step up to that sort of cadence of, of change, haven't you? Right, yeah, which which isn't just a technology change. It's a huge kind of cultural change Mm -hmm. in the role of security. And and while, yes, we have kind of a unified security organization, um, it's much more about getting security resources embedded within those various different kind of almost micro deliverables and make your engagement incremental, I think. If anyone's interested in this sort of exact topic, we um, not long ago, we did a, a talk didn't we, for Cloud Security Alliance, I think it was, with Ryan and Orther, specifically talking about our journey you know, into the sort of cloud first and the rapid cadence we were just touching on. So I'll include a link to that video for folks that want to kind of go deep into the cloud security kind of topic. Talking of kind of, you know, trends and, and looking to the future, the channel, as you know, is, is called Architect Tomorrow. It's all about really kind of looking forward, thinking about how do we architect a better tomorrow for our organizations and, you know, for our security and, and so on and so forth. I've done quite a lot of content on what, what, what's coming in the future, what's, what's coming as a result of the, of the pandemic, hybrid working, all that sort of side of things. But what is on your kind of radar in terms of what do you think is kind of coming next or what do you think the future sort of looks like? The pandemic was was somewhat of a wake up call from a technology perspective for, mm-hmm. for a lot. Of, I'm sure you've done like a hundred videos on, you know, the importance of zero trust and direct to internet. So I'll spare your your <laughs> kind of viewers. I suppose I don't want to say that the pandemic didn't affect us from a technical perspective because pandemic affected a lot of people in in many ways. For Tanium, it was more from a, a kind of a people and a ways of working perspective you know rather than being able to be in a room with someone and threat modeling or you know sitting down as a project team we were doing that all remotely and you know the stresses and pressures that come with being at home all the time and dogs barking or walking into your room as mine is doing now (laughs) so kind of coming out the other side of that I mean what I'm focusing on at the moment is kind of probably what I would have been focusing on anyway in all Mm -hmm. in all seriousness in that you know we we grow you know we're a hyper growth organization I'm not sure what the definition of hypergrowth is, but I'm pretty confident that we are one of yeah, those. Yeah. You know, we have more departments, more teams, more applications, more environments, more territories that we're deploying into. Mm-hmm. And kind of the, the net net of that is that we have lots more data. We are ingesting lots more data into kind of our SIM solution, into our security analytics platforms. And with that, you know, increases the burden on our kind of analysts from a SecOps perspective to be able to kind of identify potentially kind of suspicious or malicious activity there. So a genuine focus of us at the moment is automation, right? Is being able to kind of identify potentially suspicious activity as early in the life cycle as we can. So between Mm -hmm. sort of collecting it and triaging it, how much of that can we do in an entirely automated fashion through, through technology, through software and where we can't, how much of that can we give our analysts a leg up? through like security orchestration and automation tools to say if you see this type of ticket come your way there'll be some kind of integration to go in i don't know 
pull IP address and pull MAC address of a box or username or, you know, if it's, uh, and these are things that we are in flight in some areas, but um, just really freeing up analyst time to focus on proactive activities. So that's, that's on the, in fact, this is a, this is a, 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 I suppose a theme across all security and that we're also trying to do that from an engineering perspective. So I mentioned earlier that our cloud engine function is now looking at infrastructure as code wherever possible. You know, Mm -hmm. if you can do something in an automated fashion, it's faster, it's invariably cheaper, it's more secure because of consistency. So we're trying to do that as a security org as well, where we can create security tooling as code, where we can automate some of our, you know, our AppSec tooling um, into the pipelines that we're using. We try and do that as well. And again, it's, it's commonality, it's consistency. It's the same reasons really that I think organizations are using more immutable ephemeral workloads. That's, um, that's what we're doing in security as well. What you're sort of touching on there is one of my uh, personal favorite topics, which is intelligence augmentation over obsession about AI. I think lots of people are, you know, I, I do wonder where we are now with AI, whether the pandemic and, and what happened with AI models predicting how the supply chains that got it completely wrong overnight, whether there has been a bit of a realization that AI isn't quite as smart as everyone sort of likes to think. Yeah. Actually, I like what you're talking about there. It's, it's all about empowering, you know, the employee with, you know, intelligence sort of alerting and, and the data at the right time. And then, you know, kind of essentially just sort of reducing the number of clicks or just making things simpler and like I say, driving better productivity and efficiency. I think that for me, that feels like the right focus for the next few years. I think, don't get me wrong, there's some clever stuff going on with AI and some scary stuff with things like deep fakes and stuff like that. But for most organizations, I think the focus should really be on how do you make your current employees and your future employees as productive as possible with, with you know, intelligent use of data. And it sounds like that's what you're focusing on, which is awesome to hear. Completely, yeah, you know, and it's always a moving target. There's always there's always work to be done, but, yeah. um, but that's certainly, certainly a focus. And again, you know, cloud native technologies, as many of our kind of go-to-market initiatives and in our production infrastructure is in, is in public cloud, ensuring that we have the right skill sets to be able to almost meet developers and SREs in their world. I, mean, I touched on threat yep. modeling earlier. Threat modeling is another area where historically it was almost this kind of arcane or almost, I don't want to call it an academic discipline, but like Very the security function. Yeah. yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, the security function would kind of borrow itself away and do very kind of detailed threat models and use a methodology that no one understood. Whereas now trying to meet developers in their own world and say, right, if you're, I don't know, you're developing something in UML, it makes much more sense for us to overlay our security concerns kind of a language that you're comfortable with rather yeah. than requiring you to then go and read something that you know we think's great and you, you basically actually moved us onto the topic of skills and yeah. learning and my one, one of my last questions for you was going to be clearly you know we have a massive gap in terms of uh, availability of, of talent in the cybersecurity sort of world bro- more broadly yeah. what are your kind of what's your advice and your thoughts on folks that are currently looking at cybersecurity as a potential career path what would be your sort of tips and advice to folks getting into this profession? My immediate response to that was learn Python. Um, well, you know yeah, what? that's not a bad place to start, is yeah, it? Yeah, I know. Yeah, and no, I probably learn Python. I would say I'm actually being serious when I say that, right. but I've slightly flippantly. What it should, it should be on the. It should certainly be on the. It on should the, on be on the list. Like, I mean, we look at kind of JDs, the job descriptions these days, and, and when we're looking at people's resumes and stuff, sorry, CVs. I do look for that because, you know, if you are going to meet, I mentioned earlier about meeting people that you're interfacing with in their language, in their world, for, for various reasons. Well, to do that, you have to have a different set of skills. I mentioned that I went through this MCSE track mm-hmm. in, in my kind of early 20s or whatever. That would be 
useless today. Well, I mean, it wouldn't be useless. I mean, I suppose the as you have some value, but you're right, the relevance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and try lots of things as well. You know, that's the other thing. I think I've wrote this somewhere recently that we're one of the few kind of industries that obsesses on you must know if you want to work in AppSec or if you want to be a red teamer or if you want to work in compliance. And it seems you get pushed into that like when you're straight out of college or, you, you know, you've done some, you, you know, I don't know, some skills course somewhere and like now I'm certified in this. So, right, I'm going to go and do this for the next 30 years of my life. Just try various different things, you know, try different. And we, and we try and do that to some degree at Tanium within the security team is mm-hmm. you know, pollinate and really kind of have like knowledge. We, we call them knowledge bombs the sharing of what we're doing in our particular okay. area of security so that other areas can learn about that, you know, get yep. curious and, and, and try things out, really. I like that because I think there's, you're right, there is too much sort of too early kind of definition of what someone should be doing and they get very yep. sort of single track, don't they? And I think, yep. A, a that's not helpful because what happens if you turn out a few months or years down the line and go, do you know what? I'm not actually super keen yeah. on this choice I made five years ago when I was at college or school. And also, you're right, this broader, I think one of the reasons that uh, you and I uh, perhaps have been successful in our careers is that we we do see the bigger picture. And I see so many people that are just a marketing person or a salesperson yeah. or a, a programmer. And actually, if you're able to sort of break yourself out and empathize with what your peers, you know, in other roles are doing, and you don't have to be an expert in that, but if you at least understand what they do and what matters to them, I think it just makes you a far better individual at what you do because you, you yeah. work better with your stakeholders. We, we seem to be diametrically opposite to the medical profession in that, you know, it's, it really is there, isn't it? You, you try, you have kind of placements and you, you know, yep. you work as a GP and then you're working, there's various other medical things I don't know about, but, you know, they, they do mm. that before they decide they're going to be an anaesthetist or something. Yep. Whereas we seem to have it on its arc in that we, we say, no, you will be this for forever. And that's why yep. we lose so many people in the, and it's why we also have kind of, pretty rubbish you know jds that are written out there that say people must know everything but how can they if they've never had the opportunity to to, to try things out really yeah the, the, the best one is people asking for cloud native sort of experience for the last 10 years or you know 15 you years know, I saw that. Like, yeah. Yeah, 30 years of terraform <laughs> something yeah well, all right Chris, well, look that this has been this has been a great conversation as I, as I as i thought it would um i will perhaps try and get you back to talk about your book because I am also doing a series about, about authors and about books that uh, oh, architects you. and security people find interesting. So perhaps I can awesome. twist your arm and get you to talk about your book at some point in the future. I've, I've, I've tried to avoid any shameless plugs today. So yeah, I'll have, any, I'll have a dedicated session where I can just... <laughs> yeah, we'll have, a sh- yeah. we have a shameless yeah. plugs for Chris Hodgson uh, video. Yeah, no worries. We'll, we'll, we'll schedule that one. But no, no, brilliant. Um, Chris, thanks very much for your time. It's been great talking to you. And I look forward to getting you involved in, in Future Architect tomorrow stuff um, and for those of you that haven't subscribed uh, to the channel yet or checked out our linkedin community please do you're welcome to join you're also welcome to uh, share what your hot topic is that you'd like us to cover so please do that in the comments uh, and yeah look forward to hearing from you and uh, with that we'll finish thanks chris thanks oliver cheers mate see you cheers. later